All right, we're on recording, so there you go. <laughs> um, Jez? Yes, mate? When I was a kid, mm. if I knocked something over, my mum would say, oh, you big old lob. <laughs> it's the failed Rockstar Club. Oh. Wow. Love. Yeah. Did you actually say that? Yeah. Of course. Love. I've never heard that as a. Of course you said it. <laughs> okay. Well, a tremendous introduction. Yeah. So here we are in the um the usual place. So just can you say to everyone, who are we and where are we, including Lee? Right. So it's a very special edition of the Failed Rockstar Club because we've got a guest. Woo! Uh, so I'm uh, Jeremy Peter Dixon. This is Stephen Robert Hurdle. We're co-founders of the Failed Rockstar Club and uh, Best Days, our shop. Yeah. We're here in Manningtree uh, in our warehouse, and we have very special guest Lee Wakefield with us today. Hey, hello. How's it going, guys? <laughs> We're pretty good. How are you? How are you coping with the the big LD? Uh, yeah, not too bad. Obviously, I've heard you guys talk about it every week and. Uh, uh, offer different perspectives and things like that. Uh, for me personally, obviously, I have sort of trickier days, um, but for the most part, I've managed to sort of turn it into a positive and enjoy the complete stop because I don't really stop normally. So this has offered me an opportunity to stop and focus on things I wouldn't normally. Huh. Like what sort of things? Like work or personal? I mean, uh, well, less less work. Normally, I'm really, really busy, and I, lo- I love working, so I would focus on that, sometimes to my own detriment. So this has sort of given me a chance to focus on, you know, like my own mental health, uh, put things into perspective, um, do more exercise, read a lot more, you know, stuff that I'd normally make excuses as to why I couldn't do. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Are you, where are, you, are you at home, or are you in London? Where are you living at the moment? No, I'm- I'm back in Essex, so I was living in London, but I've moved back to Braintree for now till okay. I can find a new place once this is all over. Mm. I mean, we, we've spoken quite a lot, haven't we, about how to make the most of time in lockdown. Mm. We've done a couple of videos as well for Best Days about it, um, and that kind of balance between feeling like you have to make the most of your time versus using the time to rest. Yeah, I've actually written a song about it have you? this weekend, yeah. About that very thing. What's it called? Uh, it's called tug- <laughs> it's called tug myself into a coma. <laughs> but that that title be- that title betrays a depth in that song because it's about that feeling of kind of feeling guilty for doing nothing when everybody it seems like everybody else is kind of learning new skills that kind of thing. Mm. So it's, it's very much a metaphor. Tuggy knots. <laughs> yeah. Tuggy knots. <laughs> You're going full tuggy knots. Basically. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> We should we should uh, say what you do, really, Lee. First, before we move yeah. on to anything. So, what what is your role in the music industry? What, what what's your sort of day to day job? So, I work for a uh, PR company called The Rest Is Noise, um, and we do PR for festivals. Uh, we do PR for different events. We do PR for nightclubs as well. Um, if you don't know what PR is, basically a client, so a festival. Will approach us with different needs, uh, so they might need the PR just to sell tickets. So we would get interviews around it, do competitions with all the media, get journalists down, things like that. Or they might be a small festival and want some brand awareness. They just want to get their name out, so we'd approach that slightly differently. Things like that. Are you um, are you furloughed at the moment? I assume, or are you working? Yeah, um, yeah, I'm furloughed at the moment. So, I mean, I've, I was talking about lockdown. I admit from quite a privileged uh, position in terms of being furloughed. What's going to happen after furlough, I have no idea. Um, <laughs> who knows? But, but at the moment, I'm sort of not thinking about that and just enjoying 
I mean, the thing is, you can't control any of it. You know, it's out of our control, so there's no point in me sort of sitting here worrying. Um, so, yeah, I'm on furlough. So that's given me a bit of time to, to, to take stock of everything. This is kind of like, I mean... We've kind of gone. We've gone into the. We've gone into the meat and veg already, but we've we've called this this podcast the future of festivals. It's kind yeah. of like a lead from lead, uh, moving on from the first one we did, where we spoke about our own experiences, and then you got in contact to say it'd be really good to talk about where we all see kind of like the future of music festivals going. Definitely, yeah. Like so, we've got you on. I've also got an email from a friend of ours called Zach Fox, and she works as well for um, um, a big promotional group called the Kilimanjaro Group. Um, so at some point, I don't know when we think it's appropriate, but she's, she's written me so, like, some thoughts as well about where she sees it going. Um, cool. But for now, like, I guess we're going to ask you where you see it going. What do you see, like, the, sh- um, the short-term future of festivals? So, like, this year? Are they done yeah. this year, do you reckon? Well, I mean... <laughs> Yeah, no one can say definitively. It's all a bit up in the air at the moment. Before I came on, before like 20 minutes ago, I would have said, yeah, they're done in Europe. But then I saw just before I came on the Exit Festival, which is a 40,000 person capacity festival in Serbia. Serbia, yeah. It's going ahead in August. They've had the, go, the green light, um, which to me is crazy. So, but from our perspective, from the festivals we work on, uh, they're, they're pretty much all done. I the thing is so that I've read this article about Exit Festival and they're looking at having to reduce their uh, like half their capacity things like that. I don't know how it's going to be possible to get a load of pissed up, drugged up festival goers to social distance. You can't even do it with people on the beach at the moment. But maybe it's different in uh, European countries. I know they've been a bit stricter. Um, so yeah, for the short term. I personally can't see them coming back this year. I, I mean, I, for me personally, I think it's a bit mental when you can't get enough, uh, you know, you can't get enough tests to the NHS and then you're using them to, to test everyone at festivals. doesn't make sense to me. That's my opinion. We've, because one of the questions that we have, I suppose, is how can you how can you socially distance a music festival? The whole point of a music festival is to have a shared experience, to be yeah. in it together with all these people you don't know, thousands, no, shoulder to shoulder with some sweaty man next to you watching um, yeah. all everybody's Tom best, Jones. best festival moments, the people you meet. It's about the kind of strangers yeah. that you've... It's any gigs. It's like the yeah. industry itself. is it's that, that sense of community and that kind of, yeah, yeah, meeting like-minded people. So, yeah, I don't 100%. see how they work. That's the thing. But I, the thing is, I don't know if this is just sort of a... Uh, I mean, I've been to quite a few festivals... Well, I've been to a lot of festivals abroad, and I guess, yeah, they're a similar vibe to us in sort of putting your arm around a scantily clad, sweaty bloke and singing to Liam Gallagher or Wonderwall or whatever. Um, yeah, I think it would be difficult to socially distance. They're doing it in a few nightclubs already. Um, in Europe? In, in Europe? Uh, yeah. In Europe, yeah, but then they're sort of they put circles on the floor, and you just dance in them. Which, for me personally, I mean, I think you should go out and support these places because they're going through a really hard time. Mm. But that sort of takes the uh, for me, it's quite like a hedonistic, unpredictable, spontaneous experience when you go and see live music, and totally. that sort of confined to a circle. Yeah, exactly. Mm. So. I have mixed feelings about it. If that's the way we have to go, then that's the way we have to go. I know, like, some of my friends are so desperate to sort of get back to live music and dance and things like that, that that might be the price we pay. But it's not really my vibe. Do you think that it would even work financially? Because surely it's all about a numbers game. And so you need to sell yay many tickets plus all the kind of food and drink sales... So if you're budgeting for, like, say, I don't know, like 60,000 people at your festival, but you're only allowed to have 20,000, 30,000 people, surely it wouldn't mm. work financially. Yeah, I mean, it's tricky. Um, I mean, that's when the government have to step in and sort of offer grants and support. Um, I know they have been around Europe, not sure about here. Um, but, yeah, that was sort of going to feed into what I, was gonna, what I mentioned about that nightclub, like... 
I can only sort of go on by what they've done, and they're like one of the first ones. And they charge seventy euros a ticket mm-hmm. just to sort of break even. But they did have quite a big artist playing. So the only thing I would suggest there is, like we said, we're going to discuss later on, like some of the positives that might come out of it is maybe then if people it becomes less of a money game if you start putting smaller artists on and start supporting smaller artists who perhaps command a lesser fee so that could be a positive that comes out of it in my opinion yeah it's true it might be that people kind of like end up supporting festival because i bet like all the people that bought tickets for these things as well whether or not they're going to be delayed or put back to next year or whether or not they're going to get refunds i don't know how that works for example everyone's bought their tickets for glastonbury so far like i don't know how that i assume they'll be just delaying it till the year after yeah, well, I, the thing, I had a Glastonbury ticket, yeah. and that what they're doing is it's just rolling over. If you had year. one, then you can just have one yeah. for next year. Um, but I think, like, what I was going to come and talk about, just to add a bit of background, is, like, the, the, the problem with certain festivals, particularly independent festivals, so the ones that don't have sort of, like, lots of sponsorship, mm-hmm. um, you know, lots of, big bucks behind them is that they weren't covered for this particular uh, pandemic sort of yeah. outbreak in their insurance. Yeah. So they're having to pay refunds for people out of their own pocket rather than paying out the insurance. People like Glastonbury are okay. Like your bigger festivals are mostly okay. It's like your smaller festivals uh, and independent festivals that are having to pay out of their own pocket, which then sort of affects whether they're going to be able to come back again um, next year, uh, because obviously if you have to pay out so much, you might bankrupt them, things like that. Um, so obviously, like, I'm happy to talk a bit more about, you know, there's not a lot, there's not loads you can do to help them, but there are a few things that I think might be helpful Helpful if you want me to yeah. expand. Yeah, go for it. So I think, uh, I mean, this is a main one. You've probably seen a lot of festivals saying this anyway. It's like this kind of, explains what you said steve is if you had a ticket for this year what would be really helpful to them if you can afford it is to hold your ticket on for next year like most festivals are just saying if you have one it'll roll over to next year and yeah if you can afford to and you can keep that ticket and you don't need a refund then i'd recommend you do that Mm -hmm. obviously if you do need the refund back i mean festivals you're talking like 100 200 £250 ticket. If you need that money back, which is perfectly understandable, because we all do at the moment, a lot of festivals have set up fundraisers or they've set up sort of uh, ways to donate. So even if you need that 200 quid, maybe you could chuck in a tenner, something like that, just to sort of keep the festival ticking over. Um, Obviously, if you can't afford anything monetary, like I said, that's totally understandable. You know, anything on socials, a share, a like, a retweet, you know, they're all equally valuable. You guys know that with the shop, everything like that is super helpful. Um, Again, offer your support on socials. It may sound really silly, this one, but if it's an independent festival, they'll probably see it. And some of them are probably questioning whether there's any point in coming back next year. So offer your support, tell them what a good time you had in previous years, how you want them to keep going. And also, don't forget the sort of food, retail, craft businesses that were going to be in festivals as well. It's not just about the music. Uh, a lot of traders make, you know, so much money at festivals, and that's all been completely wiped out. So I think, um, yeah, if you can sort of support them as well, uh, and the same applies to them, really. Do you, think, um, do you think in regards with the government that you've had a real big lack of support, at like festivals and the music industry? Because there's a lot of talk, isn't there, about the airline industry or mm-hmm. the um, the state, I don't know, what is the tourism industries, but you don't hear too much about the kind of live... The, well, the entertainment industry in, in general, because yeah. it's not just festivals and music, it's the theatres and the yeah. cinemas. Yeah, 100%. Like, in my opinion, I mean, I probably was quite ignorant before I sort of worked in the music industry about how how good we are in the UK like for a little island we you know we set trends and the world looks to us and that needs to be really cherished Mm -hmm. and we need to feel proud of that and I think personally I think the government are happy to take credit for it but they won't fund it 
um, at the moment. They've set up a, like the so the funding they've done like furlough things like that. A lot of festivals don't fit into the criteria for furlough. They don't fit into loans, things like that. So they've been trying to make that clear to the government. Um, and also, I know now that they've set up a sort of culture committee. Um, with different representatives from, like you said, jazz theatre, fashion, uh, you know, like uh, ev- every sort of sector of culture, but I don't think festivals is represented on there. Right. So, um, yeah, so I think it's I think it's something that they really need to sort out. Um, and also, I just sort of say to the listeners, like, a lot of... I think it would be a real shame if we just... Not there's anything wrong with them, but if we just ended up with the bigger festivals and that's all we had, uh, there's a lot of sort of creativity and uniqueness that comes from independent festivals and, you know, the way people put them on. Like, if you guys wanted to put one on, if I put one, wanted to put one on, we could. Yeah. That, will, that ability to do that will die out if we don't support the industry now. So, yeah, I think, I think the government, yeah, needs to... Definitely. Put their money where their mouth is. Do you think that it's so... I don't know if I want to get political, but do you think because yeah. of the sort of people that go to music festivals, young people, it's considered to be a party scene, drink and whatever, drugs... Lefties. Yeah. That, well, whether or not the government just don't prioritise that kind of industry, no sort of people that go because of the sort of people that do are traditionally kind of associated with music festivals. Yeah, I think, I think it's probably... Yeah, I think you've probably got a point there, but yeah, yeah, definitely, yeah, definitely. I think, yeah, it's completely lost on them what the actual benefits are. Like, yeah. it adds so much to the economy uh, each year, and I, I think on a personal level, you guys kind of talked about it last week when you had your festival episode. That sense of intimacy and community you get at a festival is unlike anything you really get. You get maybe some get some really good gigs, but you don't really get it anywhere else now. I think our chance to sort of connect is less and less now, and I think festivals offer that really rare opportunity. And I just say to people like just to remember that because yeah. next year we're going to really crave that wanting to get together, and I think festivals are the perfect place to do that. It feels the same as you do with like small businesses. The idea that you kind of build community with small businesses that there's not many chances to, to like you say, to connect. And whether it be like from a shop like Best Days and that kind of relationship you build with customers or a music festival with the different people that go. Even sports events, for example, like the kind of people that you meet up with once a week if you're a season ticket holder at West Ham. Like my uncle yeah. is, for example, and he meets with this like 20, 30 people that, that come from all different walks of life where they connect every, every other Saturday to go and watch the football. They all have to sit tickets together. And they've all become friends through right. football. And like those sort of connections must be really cherished and they must it, be really missed right now. Definitely. It gives you that sense of um, belonging to a tribe, which is sort of so rare now. Like you have it with your football team. Yeah. You have it with your, you, have it with your um, you know, you go to a festival and you're all singing the words with thousands of people. Yeah. You know, that's that's those are, they feel like your people right there, and nothing else really matters. You know, yeah. obviously there's a lot of shit going on, and mm. it sort of all goes away once you're with your tribe in inverted commas. Yeah, one of the things. Well, I'm trying to look at the positives as I always do, but when yeah. and providing these festivals do survive to mm-hmm. next, and and assuming it is safe by next summer. Because yeah. the, people are saying, you know, they might not even go ahead next next summer because of yeah. the situation, and you know, there could be a second spike or whatever. But if they do, you know, the release that people are going to have that because they missed this summer, the the next lot of, lot of festivals when they do happen will be, you know, better than ever, bigger and better. Yeah, I feel like that'll be, be such a the ones it'll be so symbolic. It. Yeah, do you reckon? Do you reckon yeah, I think. Go Sorry, God. I was just going to say, do you think there will be? there will be casualties uh, I hope not I hope not for the festival's sake and I think if there's any chance of that any sort of festival organiser it's not worth taking the chance um, no, I think, I know, think like, he means casualties as in and yeah, not yeah, as in like fe- festivals that some are of the festivals uh, so. not like I thought he meant yes. <laughs> 
<laughs> I knew that's what you thought. But... No, I you know meant I mean? sorry, like um, like festivals that might drop away, like for I don't know, like I'm just pulling one, but truck festival, for example, where because they've been stitched up with the insurance and the money and whether or not well, they should have gone on because of their lineups a couple of years ago. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, like, definitely. I can't speak for uh, other festivals, and obviously I can't even speak for the own festivals I work on because it's so uncertain at the moment. But, yeah, undoubtedly, undoubtedly it was getting really tough out there before uh, Corona. Yeah. Because, I mean, it's, because of how many there are. Sorry? Because of how many there are. I mean, it does feel like festivals were kind of at saturation point. Almost. Yeah, it's a very it's a very saturated market, and also like yeah, it is it, you have you having to offer something different constantly. Yeah. Uh, to to sort of sell out or attract enough people to break even, and you know there's a lot of arguments that the same bands get booked for the for the same big lineups, and I agree with that. Mm. And that's actually something that I think could be a positive to come out of this if we get to the other side of this. And, you know, we've still got festivals going on next year and they return. Is that like, I really hope that some of us, some of them see it as a good opportunity to reset. Because in my opinion, they were sort of trapped in this cycle of booking the same artists, doing the same things every year. Um, and I would just sort of really like them to see it as a good time to reset so they can come back with more, a more green stance. I think not enough festivals are doing that. So I think that really needs to be looked at. And this is the opportunity to do that. I think there needs to be more representation on lineups, whether that be like female uh, quality, non-binary. You know, lineups that really reflect modern society because there's not enough of them at the moment. Um, things like that, I think, could be a really positive uh, change to come from this. Hopefully, I always, I also think that people are such entrepreneurs as well that even if we do have a few casualties, there'll be other people starting things up, and other things will happen from the from the ashes. You know, and I like to think that because it's such a popular industry, as and when things sort themselves out, though, you'll never lose festivals altogether. It'll just we'll just have a tough time for the next couple of years but things will start kind of you know there's always going to be people that's starting up catering businesses that might want to go and do it or that's what I hope that's why I hope that um, it's not a forgotten sector I hope that the government supports them mm -hmm. and the, and the listeners and everyone out there like I, I hope obviously if you've got the means to do so you'll support them too and then that will encourage like you said more more sort of entrepreneurial people because those are the people in my opinion that make the best events they come with a completely mm -hmm. fresh idea i went to those sort of bigger festivals when i was younger as well and they were amazing but then you sort of get a bit older and you want something more well that was offered to me uh, through these independent festivals and that's why i really really hope that uh, they get supported yeah i mean i always say think about it that it's also businesses like best days that will also yeah. struggle off the back of it because we said last week that a lot of our our most popular months, our bit, our best months, are the sub, are the festival season months because of where we are as a kind of shop, and we, we're, along with other people, we're going to lose that income definitely. And yeah, even you don't even it, think it about it, but it, shops like yeah, little shops like ours that are really relying yeah. are going to struggle. It's not as well. the festivals themselves. There's such a trickle down effect, like you say with the food. The food stands or whatever, yeah. staging, lighting, yeah, yeah. And I think those people sometimes slip between the cracks, and mm -hmm. they do such amazing jobs. Like I, like I said, the, the same. I don't want loads of massive festivals ruling the roost. I want some smaller, independent ones uh, going on to offer something different mm -hmm. and book exciting artists, different artists. That's how we've always pushed music along in this country. It's because you always have someone smaller who's willing to take a risk and book artists that maybe aren't the hottest thing at, at the time, and they'll get massive off the back of it. It's the same with you guys. I want streets with best days on. I don't want all costers. Yeah, it's the yeah, it's, it's the same thing for all of us, isn't it? It's mm. like anyone independent. It's, it all comes down to cash is. I hate this saying, but cash is king. I if you've got yeah. enough cash in the bank to get you through this tough time, you'll probably get through it. But if you're a business that is quite reliant on cash flow to survive, then you might be in a shit right now because there's only so far like a government grant or furlough is going to go. Definitely. 
and there's a lot of businesses yeah. that are really kind of work, like are hand to mouth when it comes to getting money in to go out to get in to going out and there aren't you know there are a lot of businesses that aren't cash rich that might well be done for well there's going to be some Definitely. lean times on the other side it's, it's not mm. going to be the case that as soon as lockdown is lifted that everything's suddenly going to go yeah. back to normal and people are going to go back to doing what they were doing before people you know people are going to think twice about going to a gig going to a yeah. the pub you know and buying yeah going yeah. out in general buying clothes and, you know, that, to wear out that that responsibility as much as i'm saying the the people need to support and stuff that responsibility equally falls on uh the promoters the organizers yourselves as business owners shop owners that you that you need to make your public feel safe and things yeah. like that so there is a responsibility mm-hmm. there yeah. we just all need to meet in the middle and you know and, and i think it just needs to be an understanding like you said jess mm-hmm. that it's going to be a really tough time. We just need to all cut each other some slack in general, I think. <laughs> mm-hmm. Not drive to Durham. <laughs> yeah. yeah I wasn't going to bring that up because I knew you'd have some strong opinions on... Uh... Well, yeah, I didn't, I didn't want to mention it. Yeah. <laughs> well, obviously, as a man who wears glasses, Chez, you've done that often. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I can't drive anyway, but I know <laughs> what I do. I know what I'm going to do. Oh, political. Yeah. So for those of you that are listening at a random time, we're recording this podcast two days? The weekend, the day after all the kind of Dominic Cummings revelations that came out in the press. There's probably been new ones since we... Yeah, probably. This so morning. hence the kind of talk about the, the, the driving to Durham talk. Uh, I want to read out um, a little bit what we were talking about from another person who's worked in the industry, like you, um, Lee. So this is an email that I received from a friend of ours called Zach Fox. She's Chief Operating Officer for the Kilimanjaro Group to promote touring artists, large-scale summer outdoor shows and festivals, theatre work, etc., etc. So she she put on Ed Sheeran's big uh, shows last... Yeah, Sheeran, Chili Peppers, Stereophonics. So she's she's a a big deal in the industry. Like She knows what she's talking about. And much like you, she spoke a lot of... um, Come from a similar place that you came from, really. Um... So she basically said that we have a couple of different models where the festival industry is concerned. There are companies like ourselves, SJM and Live Nation, who promote tours all year round, and then festivals and outdoor shows in the summer. And then there are those who just do specific festivals or even just one festival. So she's broken into two groups. So for group one, the income from festivals is part of their annual income. And group two is everything. They can work at a festival for the entire 12 months on a, on a one three-day festival, for example, Glastonbury. Yeah. Um, usually they're smaller organisations, sometimes just people who have a field and started up as small and got bigger. However, all these groups are in trouble. As an industry, we were the first to shut down and we will be the last to restart. We are feeling that it's likely that we could be an entire year without shows. There has been a woeful lack of appreciation of the impact of this by the government there's plenty of talk about the airline industry, pubs, restaurants, hotels, but almost none about live events and of any kind. And yet our industry impacts on theirs. Touring bands and audiences spend a lot of money on these things. At the moment, the audiences are proving to be very optimistic. We're hearing across the boards that only 3 to 5% of festival customers have taken the refund option, which is what we were talking about. Um, yeah. And everyone else is holding on to their ticket for next year. Um, our festival in the Highlands, Belladrum, yeah. um, we put all return tickets back on sale and they flew out as fast as they usually do. This is great, but the income from those tickets remains the property of the customer until the festival has taken place. And also the ticket income is just a small part of the profit from a festival. Um, those companies are rely on the bar take, food spend, merch, car parking, sponsorship, etc., etc., etc. Hello, my name is Bernard, 2001. You might recognise me from my collaborations with Radiohead and Stephen Hawking. I actually did a lot of his heavy lifting for him. Anyway, I'm here to tell you about Best Days Vintage. If you like sustainable vintage fashion, feel-good prints, 
and positive well-being, then they're the guys for you. Visit them at 40 Elf Lane, Colchester, or online at bestdatesvintage.co.uk. Peace out, mother crushers. Um, I, I don't think many of these festivals would have thought there would be a chance of the event being cancelled up to six months away and so there's issues with insurance um, so yeah there are, there are also suppliers the obvious ones such as staged lights audio, video security um, and there's less obvious ones such as decor designers, sound management consultants, sign language cable tie manufacturers Everyone is going to be really badly hit, and who knows which of them will still be here when we do restart the industry. I do believe that it will restart, and that it will be as strong as it was, but not, but the, not till the need to have social distancing has gone. The entire, entire point of a shared experience of standing in the field, shoulder to shoulder with strangers and singing your heart out, a great atmosphere, is the biggest target for any music festival. So much time is spent on deciding what vibe should be and how to achieve it, even if we could make it work financially on, must less, on much less attendees, which we couldn't, it would kill the spirit of the festival. We need to be ready to come back and come back properly. Looking at how many people were going to go and sit on the beach in South End, though, I'm pretty confident we will get them back. Uh, we just need the government to let us do this and stop and don't put as many so many restrictions in our way. So in short, I'm optimistic long term and I'm pessimistic short term. I'm worried that some of the more unique events won't survive because they're the ones living hand-to-mouth anyway. Now festivals will pop up, though, as they always do. New, sorry, new festivals will pop up, as they always do. It will just take time for this to happen, and all we can hope is that people choose to spend their money with us again. So it's quite, yeah, it's quite a lot. Thought, I'm going to write yeah. that as a blog as well, so I'm going to put that all what she's written as a blog so people can read it as well in full. Yeah. I did kind of paraphrase that. I thought that was... Yeah, I thought that was fantastic. I think the only sort of, to follow up on that, is just, I hope, maybe, that if, I mean, I don't even know if it's possible, but we will see. I mean, Exit Festival is the first festival I've seen that's going ahead. So we'll be watching that with interest. And the only thing we can hope that if you have to do a socially distanced festival or a restricted festival, that maybe people will go and they'll go as a sort of novelty to yeah. see what it's like and be like oh do you remember that year they can look back on it and be like do you remember that year we went to a festival and it was just completely different yeah. uh, you know if you're a loyal follower of that festival I feel like people will do that um, mm. so yeah fingers crossed I think you may be right I think maybe they'll do it once but yeah it's hard to control drunk people though <laughs> that's what I mean drunk people that's or drunk, drunk. <laughs> yeah that's because true. I'm on furlough, I haven't sort of, I haven't done any work because I'm not allowed. So I don't know any of the discussions that have taken place. But I would be interested to hear if there's any ideas on that front. <laughs> um, moving on, Lee, one of the things that I yeah. know that you wanted to speak about was giving people advice on how they can get into the music industry. Yeah, is that right? I mean, you did say that, definitely. Didn't you? Yeah. yeah, I think I think um, there's no sort of. Uh, beating around the bush it was tricky before and it's going to be even trickier now because there's a lot of closures, a lot of people with no money Um, but I still think, you know, there is there are things you can do and I thought I'd just sort of talk about what I did Uh, not in a self-indulgent way, just maybe to sort of give people some ideas and some inspiration uh, We're all about about following your dreams here You're only a failure if you don't try (laughs) <laughs> exactly so I started off uh, as well I still am a freelance journalist but I sort of pick and choose what I do now it's not my uh, full time income my day job is in PR but I still do writing for different publications on the side I write for London Stereo Clash DJ Mag people like that um, and I didn't, I didn't go to uni I started doing it in college I was obsessed with live music, uh, like you guys and like a lot of people who listen to this. And I was going to like two or three gigs a week in London. 
Um, and I don't know what happened. I don't know if I was just obsessed with blogs. There was a lot of blogs popping up at this point. And I just decided, right, I'm going to make a commitment. I'm going to review every single gig that I go to. Um, so I started a little blog. And um, with any, like with anything, just doing that um, sort of honed my style. I got a sort of writing style. I probably made a lot of mistakes, but that's fine because hardly anyone was reading it. But it really sort of gave me an opportunity to work on things at my own pace. Um, and then basically, once I started reviewing all these gigs, it then acted as a portfolio, basically. I had all this writing that I'd done. That I could go to editors when I eventually thought, you know, I want to write for some publications. And I could show them this blog and I could say, yeah, I this off my own back because I love it so much um, at that point and I know this is a sore spot for some people but I didn't care about getting paid I worked at Topshop as you guys know in Colchester and that was my day job and that funded me and I loved it so much writing that it didn't um, I didn't care that I wasn't getting paid and obviously no editor's going to turn that down um, and yeah, I I started writing. Then I met, uh, uh, and then I through that I started going to like meetups. I started uh, talking to different editors. So when I met Jess at London in Stereo, she was massive in my sort of uh, path to the music industry because she's someone who feels really strongly that everyone should be paid for their work. And then I started to sort of value my work a bit more and say yeah I should be being paid for this she also let sort of allow me to diversify my skills so this is a big one that I would say to people is even if writing's your passion like it was mine it's bloody tough so if you can sort of add other strings to your bow so through London Hysteria I started working on the socials so I sort of understand more about social media I then started working on the website itself and putting content on the website and using WordPress so I now know my way around that and can offer my skills that way. Um, and, yeah, so I started writing loads. I was freelancing uh, for these magazines while working at Topshop. It was the only thing that kept me sane. And then I uh, wrote an article for Clash about, an, about a club called Printworks, which is in London. It opened a few years ago. And I met somebody who worked at the company I now work at, she was doing the PR for it, and she sort of added me on Facebook. We'd gone, well, that was it. About a year later, I saw they were looking for an intern, and, um, yeah, I started interning there. I cut my hours at Topshop, so I worked a few days there, a few days interning, and then, yeah, sort of, that for me was my foot in the door. Like, I'm very determined, and I basically went into that internship and was adamant that I was, they were not going to have a choice whether they gave me the job or not. I was like, this is my opportunity. And, yeah, from that I got offered part-time job there, which was like the dream. And then now I'm full-time. Um, and, yeah, it's just fantastic. Like, a lot of the festivals we work on are stuff I'd go to as a punter. So yeah. to get to go to those and see the sort of inner workings of them and see things come to fruition is a dream come true. But yeah, just for, for writing-wise, I would say diversify your skills because writing's great, but it's a very cluttered, very saturated market and you need to sort of offer different things, in my opinion. I think DIY spirit's really important, so I didn't know I was doing it at the time. I just did it because I loved it. But if you can sort of start your own blog start your own newsletter, start a YouTube channel. Because I genuinely believe, and this isn't uh, just applied to writing, this is to do with anything in life, anything creative. If you're passionate about something, that will shine through and people will gravitate towards it and you'll amass a following. And people will pay attention because you love something so much. I think that's really important. And I think if you're just looking for the big bucks, then it's probably not going to work at the moment. But I'd be happy for people to prove me wrong, obviously. But I just think you've got to go with it in a love and you've got to start at the bottom rung and be willing to sort of really graft. Like I said, I was going to gigs two or three times a week. 
I was getting home at like one in the morning and going to work and I was sort of working on features in my lunch break, doing interviews in the toilet at work sometimes. Um, yeah, you've really got to show that dedication and the passion and that I think that DIY spirit. Like if you want to do an interview with someone, find their contact details. A lot of the time their press team is on their Facebook page. Drop an email, you know, nine out of ten are probably going to say no. But that one person might give you an interview and smash it and people will pay pay attention. Yeah. That's I think great it's, advice. It's inspirational, isn't it? Yeah. Think. Like, it's, it's easy to kind of faff around, but sometimes you just got to get out there and make it happen, make mistakes, but go, make, do it, because you can, like... 100%. How, how much of the sort of... Because sh- there's a sort of element of schmoozing there, especially in that, that industry. You, you know, a couple of times there, it was about people you'd met while you were kind of at events. Mm-hmm. How how important is that, the schmooze, the schmooziness of it? I think I sort of recognise the schmooziness more now that I'm older. Um, but at the time, I was like a teenager, so I was just this really enthusiastic, uh, you know, like I was really naive and I just wanted to write and I think people picked up on that passion. I think there is a reputation for schmooziness and of course there is. And I think you sort of encounter that more at the sort of, at the higher you go. But if you're sort of talking to editors in smaller publications, which London Stereo was at that time, um, yeah, I think, I think the thing is you encounter the smoothiness and if you don't like it, you never talk to those people again. I sort of probably met a couple of dickheads and thought, right, well, they're dickheads, but I don't need to, I don't want to talk to them anymore. But then I met people that were actually my people and they really believed in giving people a platform. And that for me now is something that I really understand like that. Now I'm sort of, obviously we don't know what's going to happen after this crisis. I'm on fellow at the moment, who knows, but I really want to sort of give you know, I said this to you guys when we talked about doing this podcast. It's like, I'm no expert. I don't want people to think I'm an expert. And I can't guarantee you'll get a job. I can't give you a job. But I can definitely, I definitely want to give people a platform um, and feedback and sort of advice. Because, like, when I started, there's, like, articles and stuff on the web, on, online that sort of tell you how to write a feature a certain way or do you know what I mean? Like you can find that stuff, but like even really simple stuff, like what, so how do you word an email when you pitch? No one really sort of goes into that. No one sort of says, how do you talk to an artist management over email and things like that? So if you've got a killer idea and that's the sort of things that are holding you back, I really want to sort of offer some advice to people. So I'm happy to sort of give my email out. Um, it's Lee, Wakefield, all lowercase, 93 at gmail.com. I have a lot of time on my hands at the moment, and I really want to, uh, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't have to be, it can be absolutely anything. No question is too silly, because honestly, I sort of muddled my way through and asked these questions of the editors that I worked with early on. And the thing is, it's such like an alien environment and you hear all these rumours about it, you hear about the schmooziness, it's got certain reputations and I just want to sort of help people get along and, uh, you know, give people an opportunity because it can feel like some, it can feel really daunting. What does, um, I've got a question, Lee. Mm-hmm? What does the 93 mean in your email address? <laughs> the year I was born. Oh. <laughs> Does that make you guys feel old? Yeah. Oh, God, everything does. Born, we, were born, we were both born in the 70s. <laughs> huh? Still it again. You revealed it again. Yeah, there it is. <laughs> it's out there now. Well, with this in mind, because I've, I've got to be honest, I've since I've known you, I don't think I've ever met anyone as passionate about new, specifically new music as you. Yeah. I've never met anyone who's had their finger on the pulse quite so... So heavily, well, other than Steve, obviously. <laughs> the last record he bought was That's in right. 2003. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, with that in mind, have uh, yeah. uh, have there been any sort of tracks or albums in during lockdown that you could recommend? I yeah, usually do the recommendation sure. of the week, but I'll leave it to you this week, I think. Yeah, so uh, I 
work in predominantly dance music i listen to a lot of electronic music as you guys know but there's a really good ep that came out last week i think uh by an artist called india jordan it's it's like it's electronic but for me it's like a proper crossover record for people who aren't bothered, who aren't necessarily interested in electronic music it's really bouncy it's really fun it's perfect for the sort of sunshine and the heat at the moment um I'm really excited. It's the sort of uh, record that'll make you really keen to hear it out, and you can have a little party in your garden or your room. <laughs> um, and also, on the other side of that, I'd really recommend the new Perfume Genius record. Some people probably know about Perfume Genius, but I think this is like his fourth record, fourth or fifth, maybe. Uh, and it's uh, really, really fun. Uh, really beautiful vocals. Bit the more second sort of one, the second one was great, wasn't it? Huh? Second one was a, a great album. What's, what's the second one called? <laughs> <laughs> you know, the second one. It was all with a yeah, no, on the front. You know, yeah. the thing. <laughs> cool. Well, thank you for that, Lee. No worries, guys. You'd be pleased to know that uh, my song of the week this week is. Um, Call for Cats by Squeeze. <laughs> I'm not surprised. <laughs> yeah, yeah, nice. Nice modern, just released, just come out. We're in Slovakia where my wife comes from, it probably has just come out. <laughs> why, why Call for Cats? Um, because, yeah. you know, I told you about my robins, my birds. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, the cats, in the, the neighbourhood cats have clocked onto the fact... I've got um, birds nesting in my shed. Yeah. and robins there's like a nest of little baby robins and the cats have clocked on that there's um that the nest's there and they're like oh, three no. cats are like, like hovering around the outside and the, the oh, dad, birds are going quah, quah, like crazy at them but the cats are just like nah. are you gonna intervene I, have, gonna I keep telling him to piss off like last night I ran outside in my pyjamas go piss off Three <laughs> cats Brilliant. Jeez. Yeah, a forty-year-old man with man boobs jiggling in his pajamas, running through the street, shouting "piss off." It's a very sexy image. Yeah, it's a very sexy. So image. you go, fucking doing my editing. But what can you do? It's nature. Exactly. I've helped the birds. I've like blocked the door so they can't. The cats can't open the door. Yeah, but the domesticated cat. I mean, that's not doing my editing. That's yeah. not natural, is it? Well, that's not so nature, annoying. is it? That's that's humans have got involved. Yeah, no. it's not that's, fair. He shouldn't be there. Well, it shouldn't be around my area. <laughs> Well, I was going to choose uh, Little Lies, Fleetwood Mac. Okay. In reference to the political stuff, oh. but I don't know if you want to get into that. Of course. I just... Political. Well, I think it's important to address it. Go on and address the kumquat. <laughs> Respect the kumquat. The kumquat and the BJ. Just, it's gone full Trump, Lee, hasn't it? It's gone full Trump. Yeah. It's just mad. Like, it's just outright lies going on. Yeah. The, the brazenness. Yeah, they're just, they're just, yeah. It's like, like you said, it's Trumpian, untouchable. And yeah. I don't know, I feel like, do you feel, what do you feel like people's reaction is going to be like to it? Do you think they're just going to buy this shit or do you think they're going to sort of rebel against it? I think people have already drawn their line in the sand and will follow whichever side they picked. I think it comes down to as simple as that. You've picked your side of this. And you're either with this government or you're against them. And I don't think this will... Maybe a few people will have sort of switched allegiance or at least like criticised the government for this particular... Mr. Miller. I just was... I was almost more insulted by how bad at lying he was. Yeah. Like, for a sort of government mastermind, I thought he was going to be at least a bit better at lying. <laughs> It's so hard when when you've told one line and you've lo- you've had to tell a few others to cover up this other line. You lo- you just lose track. I remember my, my it's old, genuinely quite a hard skill. Yeah, my dad always um, my dad's always had this motto saying if you ever get caught doing something you shouldn't do, lie lie and lie again until there's video evidence. <laughs> and it's effectively what they're doing. It's like you can't prove it, so this is this is what happened. Oh yeah, and then when they found video evidence of the registration, yeah, the they'll car, change it. They, yeah, they had to they'll change adapt it their lies. They'll adapt yeah. their line. They'll say, well, actually, actually this happened. I think I think to sort of touch on what you talk often on this podcast as well, though, is that when it comes to stuff like this, like yesterday, I've been toying with the idea of sort of 
taking some time off social media mm. because it just sort of really, I, I sort of really internalised these things and feel sort of white hot rage and, <laughs> and I feel like I can't affect it um, and it's actually sort of not doing me any good really. Well, so I thought, I thought I'm with the idea of getting off social media and might take a break uh, because like I feel like as well especially now I'm on furlough, it's given me as much as, you know, there's lots of positives for me, but it's also given me a lot of time to sort of pick through social media, whereas before I might sort of brush over it because Twitter, I was busy. Twitter, Twitter particularly, isn't it? It's really bad for uh, getting yeah. this deep dive. Yeah. Um, how, how do you channel the white hot rage? I'm asking for a friend. <laughs> <laughs> well, I... I have been... In, in, in lockdown as well, I've been toying with the idea of sort of starting my own uh, either blog again or newsletter or even like a some sort of magazine. And because my strongest takeaway from it is is that the people who have so much influence over our lives and particularly young people who their decisions are going to affect the most, they're so alienated from those decisions. And these people and these kids just don't have a voice. So... I, that's something I get really angry about. So then I was like, well, how can I actually channel that and make a difference? And it's, it's like, well, I'm a writer. I'm in the music industry. I'm in the sort of publishing world. I know people. Can I sort of direct that into giving these people a voice and at least sort of flagging the consequences, the trickle-down effect of these people's decisions at the top? Because they don't give a shit. No. <laughs> I think that's, that's quite pretty clear. Yeah. Pretty clear. They don't care. <laughs> About, they don't care about lying. But uh, can we, before we wrap it up, Lee, I wanted to ask yeah. you, can you remember the bands you gave us for when we did our regular feature, Band for Life? Uh- Discuss this. He's going to do new ones. Oh, I've got new this. ones. Yeah. Have you? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Go on then. So, are you ready? Yep. So my bands are, and because you guys always say I'm a hipster, I thought I'd <laughs> pick two hipster bands that might <laughs> confuse you a little. Yeah, definitely. Well, I probably won't recognise them. That's the rule. <laughs> Just be plucking out of the air, up in air. Go on then. Uh, talking Heads and the Smiths. Oh, yeah. Okay, they are both quite hipster. I, th- oh, I think there's, I know. There's no way you can say anything bad about Talking Heads. Yeah. So I think. So, yeah. yeah. And you, I know you will hate a lot of what Morrissey says. Yeah. Stands for. So, so. Get, Morris, uh, the Smiths are going to get in a bin. Yeah. And you love the Talking Heads. Definitely. I just never had. I never had a Smiths moment. You know where like. You're growing up and you're sort of in your teenage angst, yeah. and Morrissey's the only one that gets you. <laughs> I, I think I tried to listen to him. I tried to pretend for a bit, and I just don't get it. And I, and to top it off, yeah, you're right, Morrissey. I think I can't say the words that I want to say, but yeah, he's an idiot. They're quite a marmite, aren't they, Smiths? Yes, I think his scene, I mean, his scene style kind of just him as a person, isn't it? And, well, yeah, him specifically, up. but their music, their music's quite. Because I, I, I was similar, I, I, but I did have, I had a moment where it clicked. And I heard, I think it, well, as, I've probably spoken about this before, but Radiohead did a cover of one of their songs. Oh, Radiohead. Uh, the, the Headmaster Ritual, which is, uh, I don't know what album it's off, but uh, it, I thought, oh, that's a great song. And then I listened to the Smiths version, and yeah, I, I loved it. And then I listened to a few more, and I did get into the Smiths a bit, but... Yeah, I don't absolutely love them, like some people do. Yeah, and but the thing is, same. The thing is, I see how they're both influential bands, and you know, I've heard you guys talk about them in previous podcasts, and you said about like Johnny Mars 
guitar style and yeah. playing something really influential. So I, I'll give him that. And Johnny Marr seems like a decent guy, but I'm afraid I'm wiping them from history. Um, and, They're in the yeah, head. I, love, I love talking heads. I just think they sort of uh, sort of absorb a lot of different uh, genres. So whether it's like Afrobeat, funk, rock, like sort of hard rock elements. Yeah, I just love it. And I love just sort of how danceable they are. I love how sort of a primarily guitar band can be really danceable as well. I love that. Yeah, strong choice. Oh, mm. Talk, talk. I thought I was thinking, isn't that who no, Ben no, no, no. Yeah. Talking heads and talk. Uh, last week, um, our mate, he said, talk, talk, where he's banned for life. Do you know anything yeah, about that? Yeah, I heard. Again, like, this is the thing. I've listened to their most famous record, is that Spirit of Eden? Yeah. And I liked it. But I just know, I think Jess said the same thing. It's like, I know I probably like them, I just haven't taken a deep dive with yeah. them yet. We haven't yet, have we, after a big talk? <laughs> Not enough hours in the day, Lee. I don't know how you keep up with all the new music. Yeah. There's so much. I mean, I, I, there is. I do wonder if I'm going to get to an age where I just don't care anymore. Like, I, I'm so hot on air at the moment. Will there become a time where I'm just like, you know, this is too much. I can't be bothered anymore. Yeah. What is this fucking racket? Music, <laughs> the kids are listening to. music was much better in my day. Yeah. Steve's well, already got, I, Steve I, got there about 20 years I, ago. Oh, well, I think I'm definitely sort of feeling my age now because the band who everyone sort of adores at the moment and just hasn't clicked for me and yeah there's been bands on the way that I don't really like oh you're going to say the 1975 yeah I find the borderline offensive yeah let's get into this quickly before before we finish you've got two minutes to slag off the 1975 (laughs) Uh, I just think this sort of I don't blame the fans I think Everyone's just desperate for a new band to put on a pedestal. I think the last band that really sort of came through in terms of an, a British guitar band was Arctic Monkeys. Pitching your tactics. Had, sort of, <laughs> had well, definitely had worldwide appeal was Arctic Monkeys, and everyone's just desperate to put them on that pedestal. And this sort of overhyped. Uh, for sort of focus on him having something to say when it's just all absolute bollocks to me. Pretentious art wank, yeah. Yeah, uh, I just find it really boring. I think that's the most offensive thing to me. It's like if it was really bad, like the Pigeon Detectives, I could say, <laughs> you know, I get why sort of lager swilling anthems at a festival, but I just think the 1975 is so boring. Oh, they'll be he- they'll be headlining festivals next year, I bet. Yeah, I mean, they've headlined Reading, they've headlined Latitude. Oh, they really, they yeah. keep saying they really want to headline Glastonbury. Yeah, of course they that'll happen at some point. Is there any band that's ever said they don't want to headline Glastonbury? <laughs> we said it, didn't we? I, I yeah, we, did, we didn't want to do it. Yeah. yeah that's yeah, why we didn't play. You already flagged that. Yeah. <laughs> not, not for me. Not for us, yeah. Too popular. Yeah. <laughs> well, didn't Oasis say they hated it when they headlined and then they ended up coming... Like, I know they've come back solo... But I remember their headline song, and I think they slagged it off. Wiley slagged it off. He said on Twitter, fuck them and their farm. So. Oh, blimey. Yeah. For that, is there? Yeah. Bit harsh. <laughs> right. Well, well thank there you, we mate. Go. Thank you very much, Lee, for joining us. Very no interesting worry. and very good advice for anybody who yeah. is thinking about well, having a career in the music. The beauty of it is it's the absolute spirit of. Not only the failed Rockstar Club, but also Best Days as well. Yep. So we got up and running. You just got to get get going and find your way as you go. Hard work and passion. Yeah. Hundred percent. And yeah, I'll just repeat: if anyone wants to drop me an email about advice yeah. or nineteen seventy-five anger, <laughs> hit me up on Lee Wakefield ninety-three at gmail dot com. Wicked. Yeah. Well, and Lee doesn't represent the views of uh, Best Days Vintage or the failed <laughs> Rock Club. Although, although you just although, yeah, I don't like him. I'll be honest with you. Um, I should remain Pontius Partridge yeah Um, so thanks guys for um, listening to the Failed Rockstar Club podcast the podcast that talks to musicians about mental health positive well-being and their journey in music Um, you can hook us check us out on um, socials that's Best Days Vintage which is our business Um, so yeah Best Days Vintage on all the big ones um, what else? Um, Go to the website, bestdaysvintage.co.uk. Yeah, for the merchandise. Um, so we've got our own Failed Rockstar Club collection there online. So we do loads of different sizes, different prints. So you're welcome to go and check it out. So the podcast and the clothing line go hand in hand. Um, and 
two or three weeks till reopening again. Yeah. We've got an official uh-huh. date now. Yeah, thank you for the BJ. So he's given us the 15th of Boris Johnston. It's given us the 15th of June. Thank you very much, Mr. Johnston, to open the shop. So um, I'm going to go away and edit this tonight, and it'll be released Wednesday, wherever the date is tomorrow. Yeah. Well, if you listen to this, you've yeah. you aware of that. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so yeah. Yep, see you next week, guys. Thank you for listening. Take care. Bye. Bye. Thank you to Lee again. Thank you, mate. Bye. Cheers. No worries.